Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And uh, just have a few announcements to make. Um, uh, we had on the sheet, as far as the um, retreat was concerned, that sign-in sign was from 1 to 4, and people were thinking if you couldn't be there between 1 and 4, it didn't work out. Uh, sign-in's anytime. I mean, we eat at 6, you can be there anytime uh, and sign in. The reason we had those days picked out, uh, or those times picked out, is so you wouldn't have to take any time from work. You can be there, and start eating at 6, and we're done by noon on Saturday. So we have a men's and women's retreat coming up. The sign-up sheet's in the bulletin board. I really encourage you to sign up. I believe the Lord's going to meet us there in a very powerful way. And also we have the... Um, Northeast Pastors Conference coming up. There are flyers out there on the welcome desk if you want to grab one of them. Now, a lot of people get confused because it says Pastors Conference, and you think, oh, this is only for pastors. No, it's pastors that are speaking. It's for everybody, for everyone. <clears throat> and so we have some great pastors that are going to be there, Joe Foch, John Randall, and Bill Gallatin, and, and others. So please make sure you grab one of these and consider signing up for the conference as well. Um, let's see what else I have. That's it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for the fact that you um, are a God of mercy, a God of grace, and that you are willing to reach down right where we are in the midst of all of our anxieties, in the, mix, in the midst of this world, our life, <clears throat> and even sin that we might be dealing with, and to grab hold of us and to wash us clean by your blood and to restore us to right relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would come among us this morning by your Holy Spirit and just prepare our hearts and also receive our worship. And, Lord, I pray that you would minister to us, encourage us, and bring us closer to you as the days we're living in seem to be getting darker and darker. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I did forget to mention those of you who are going to the retreat, you can get, start giving the money to Donna, Donna Fuller, and... Um, you can make out a check or whatever. It's $96, and that includes, um, you know, lodging and all three meals. So it's going to be a great time, great deal. <laughs> you know, um, it's amazing how life changes, isn't it? We get older, things change, and, you know, just thinking of the, of the Marzales and the Putmans. Putmans just sent their last daughter off to college, and, and Marzales just sent Joseph off, and, and, uh, and it's just amazing how life changes. I mean, once you were the, 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 the young people thinking of getting married, then you were the young couple with small children, then you were the couple with teens, and then empty nest, and then you get to become our age, and, and there's nobody around. Well, not true. We have all of our grandchildren and everything. But life changes. But the thing we have to understand is the progression of life is always bringing us closer to the Lord. You know, whether it's just in a spiritual revival within our own heart or really coming to that place where we're going to be with Him for all eternity. You know, um, I just finished um, writing a book on Revelation and, uh, in fact, uh, Vi and I just finished the final uh, edit this week. And uh, we even have the, the cover page for it and so forth. And it'll be out, hopefully, can be praying for us, by this Friday on uh, Kindle and Amazon. And probably around Thanksgiving, Christmas time, it'll be in, in um, hardback in the, in the stores, Barnes & Noble and like that. 
But the reason I would encourage you to look at it is because it really is very sobering when it shows us the times in which we're living. Brothers and sisters, we're living in the time of the end. And there's never been more of a time for Christians to be Christians than now. Because we might be the only light to those people that are living in darkness. And the darker this world becomes, the brighter our light shines if we're willing to let it shine brightly. But I think sometimes we do want to put a bushel basket over it so, oh, you know, people don't think we're different. Well, you know what? This is the time to let people know how different we are. And it always is in love and mercy. It's never in arrogance and boasting. And so I pray that the Lord would just bring us as a body to that place where we are willing to just let our light shine and to be a witness to everyone we, we, we come in contact with and everywhere we go. You know, um, in our prayer time downstairs, someone was mentioning something, and it made me think of, um, even in Christian homes, do we really take time to have a family altar every night? Do we really take time to pray? Do we really take time to study the Word and together? And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, believe me. But I'm just saying, I think in the time we're living, we need to make sure that we keep our lamp full that the oil might be pure and shine brightly. I mean, we're living in, in perilous times. You know, we, we, we think as, as uh, conservatives, we have a little, bit of a, you know, a little bit of a leeway right now. But understand, the Bible tells us that this world is going to be taken over by a one-world system. That's the scripture is so clear. And it's going to happen. I mean, one of these days, things can just change in a moment. It might be because of the rapture. And I think that the Lord um, taking us out of this world might be very close, maybe closer than we think. I believe also that politics and news has become a distraction. It used to be that believers were always watching for signs of the time. The Bible commands us to watch for the signs of the time. And now we've taken our eyes off of that, and we're just concerned about you know, this political party and that political party, what this one's saying and what that one's saying. Well, let's look up because our redemption is drawing near. Now, uh, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 11, starting with verse 1. And uh, it's going to be talking about dietary laws. <clears throat> and although the, the dietary laws laid out in this portion might, apply, might not apply to us as New Covenant believers, we'll find out from Acts in just a moment, they might not apply to us. It does point out that God gives standards for believers for their witness and also for their well-being. Because these eating standards that were given to the Jews were not only for their well-being, that they might not be infected by certain you know, diseases and so forth, but it was also for their witness to the pagan communities they were going into. Now, how we act around people in this pagan world, has a great deal to do with the power of our witness. To love God is to love and obey his word. And his word only has positive effects on us and those we minister to. It's only his word. It's not the ideas we have, the clever sayings. It's his word that affects others. Now, we should never make apologies for the word of God we should just pray that we'd become faithful to it. You know, we have such a tendency to consider that 
certain verses apply to us and certain verses don't necessarily apply to us or certain verses were true at one time but they really don't apply today. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's a lie of Satan. All of God's word applies to all of us all the time as believers. And so when we study the word, we, you know, really, oftentimes we study the word and we just think, oh, that's interesting. Or we study the word and we think, oh, I hope so-and-so reads this. But we should study the word and say, God, what are you speaking to me? Lord, what are you showing me? Because the only one that I can make a real difference in is me. Now, I can help you and I can minister to you and I can be a witness to you. But I can't make decisions for you. I can only make decisions for myself. So this brings us to Leviticus chapter 11, starting with verse 1. It sounds like crazy portions of Scripture, but when we get into it, I think you'll find there's a lot of um, truth to be found here. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. So now he's saying, you know, the earth is filled with all these animals. Now I'm going to tell you what you can eat and what you can't eat. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud, but it does not have cloven hooves, is unclean. And... Um, the word there for unclean is thamad, and it means it literally means it's just polluted. In other words, it's... And I, I'm telling you this because later on when we get to fish and shellfish, there's a different word that is used in unclean, which is much more uh, uh, severe and strong in its meaning, but just simply means unclean means polluted. Um, okay, choose the cud, uh, but does not have cloven hooves. Um, make sure I didn't miss any is unclean, okay. The rock hyrax, and uh, those of you who have been to Israel with us, you know when you're in in En Gedi and you're walking back to where David hid with his mighty men and you have all these cliffs around here, you have all these little animals running around there. We don't have them here, and that's what it is. It's the hyrax. They call them rock badgers too. But they chew the cud, but they do not have cloven hooves. It's unclean to you. The hair. I was surprised, weren't you, when you found out that rabbit was considered, uh, you know, under the old covenant, unclean. The hare, because it chews the cub but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, which is divided, uh, which divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yes, yet does not chew the cud. So this is just the opposite. You know, a pig has cloven hooves, but it does, but it does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh shall, uh, uh, you shall not eat. And their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever in the water that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the waters of any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. And uh, shechat is the word that is used there, and it literally means filthy. A little bit different than polluted. It means filthy. It means idolatrous. So you can't eat these. Verse 11, they shall be an abomination to you, and you shall not eat their flesh. 
but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that, you, that shall be an abomination to you. And that's why uh, even today a strict Orthodox Jew won't eat any shellfish, they won't eat any seafood. I'm glad this was lifted. But, uh, you know. Anyway, verse 13, And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, and the falcon after its kind, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after its kind, the little owl and the fisher owl and the screech owl. He really doesn't like us to eat owls, does he? And um, the white owl and the jackdaw and the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron after its kind, the hopi, uh, and the bat. I don't think too many get interested in bats, but um, all flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet, this is interesting, yet <clears throat> these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours, those which have jointed legs above their feet with which they leap on the earth. These you may eat, the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its kind, but all other flying insects which have uh, four feet shall be an abomination to you. And that's interesting when it talks about eating insects, doesn't it? And whenever I read this, I always remember when uh, Vi and I were pastoring on the reservation, and uh, every, every so many years you would have a swarms of, they, they call them on the reservation cicada. I don't know if that's their actual name. And they would catch them, and they would fry them in oil. And it would be so funny because the, the little kids would come to church and they'd have their, their bags with all the grease on the bottom from being fried in oil filled with cicadas. And they'd be sitting there eating and they'd have a wing stuck here and a leg stuck here. And they asked me to try one and I did. It was, actually wasn't bad. I didn't eat many. I just ate one, but it wasn't that bad. Now to me it's so interesting that the God of the universe who created all things is concerned about what we eat. I think the reality is that the Lord is concerned about the smallest detail of our lives. I think that's one of the things it's pointing out. You know, we think, well, the Lord cares about this, but he doesn't care about that. He cares about the smallest details of our lives. And it's also and, and very interesting that the animals that were forbidden by the Lord are the ones most likely to transmit diseases through microbes or parasites. And, for instance, just with the pig, and it's not only the pig that can have the kind of worm enter its body, and it causes a condition known as trichinosis, where they burrow into the muscles, very painful. And um, so it's interesting that those that were mentioned are the ones that have you know, harmful microbes and also parasitic worms that can be transmitted to people. So uh, at that time... You know, the Lord was trying to protect the Israelites. They were wandering through the wilderness. There were probably all kinds of unclean animals that might have brought disease. And so that's why he gave these laws. And um, the thing is, when you think about it, when Moses was writing this, how could Moses know that these animals, these unclean animals, were so dangerous? He couldn't, but God did. Remember, Moses was just recording God's word. And so, like a lot of times, uh, especially when you're in, in uh, Jewish communities, they'll say, Let's open to the book of Moses. Well, Moses was the uh, human instrument, but in our way of thinking as believers, we say, let's open the word of God because it was the word of God to Moses, 
Moses was only the scribe, only the instrument. <clears throat> One of the things that was interesting, too, I don't know how many of you ever read this when you're studying history, but you might remember when the bubonic plague, you know, went through Europe, both Eastern and Western Europe, and up into the, in, even into some of the, the, you know, the Swedish countries, Netherlands, and so forth. The bubonic plague spread like wildfire, killing countless number of people. And one population wasn't affected by the bubonic plague, the Jews. And the reason they weren't affected by it was because of their dietary and cleanliness laws. Did you know that the Bible talks about washing your hands before you tend a wound? And uh, I, don't know, I don't remember the name of uh, the movie. It was an old one. And it was talking about... Um, when they discovered that there were bacteria that could be on your hands and on instruments, and surgeons would actually go in and, and they'd cut somebody open and, and then they might wipe the, the scalp on it. Uh, and uh, that was before they realized that there were... And then people were dying with infection and they didn't know why. Well, God knew. And uh, he even said, you know, you need to cleanse the wound this way, you need to cleanse the wound that way. But the Jews, of course, they wouldn't touch dead bodies, and they wouldn't go around people that had these kinds of illnesses, and they didn't eat like it was a rat flea, you know, the cause of bubonic plague. And so they were free of rodents. They always, you know, kept them at bay. And so the bubonic plague was blamed on the Jews. They didn't get it because they were the ones that transmitted it. And, of course, the world still tries to blame everything on the Jews, doesn't it? <clears throat> now, notice... Some of the animals had cloven hooves but did not chew the cud, and some chewed the cud and did not have cloven hooves. They were still unclean. Even though they had half the requirements, they were still unclean because they didn't have all the requirements. The point to us is this. It teaches that we can't be partly clean and partly defiled. We are either all of Jesus, either Jesus has all of us and we have all of him, or he doesn't. We have to understand you can't be a half Christian and half pagan. It just doesn't work that way. And so I believe that's put in there, and it really speaks to us as New Testament believers. You know, it, well, I have cloven hooves, but uh, maybe I don't chew the cud, but I have cloven hooves. Well, I don't have cloven hooves, but maybe I just chew the cud. I'm using that, obviously, as an analogy and a metaphor. But the point I'm getting at is you can't say as a Christian, well, I do this, but I don't do that. No, no, if you're a Christian, you're all surrendered to God. Now, I'm not saying that you're perfect and you never make mistakes, but there's a huge difference, brothers and sisters, between not being perfect and needing to go to the Lord in confession and repentance over your sin than just making excuses. Well, I know I'm not perfect, so I'll just keep doing this. That doesn't work. We have to struggle against sin. And as long as we're struggling against sin, God's grace and mercy is there to give us the victory. Now, under the New Covenant, God released the Gentiles from the burden of this particular law. And if you want to turn with me to uh, the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 10, and we're going to start with verse 10, Acts chapter 10, verse 10. And this is, uh, of course, uh, after Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit has come upon all the disciples, and they realize that their ministry is to take the gospel out. Up to this point, the only ones that the Jews were ministering to, the gospel of Jesus Christ, were other Jews. who were right there in Israel or Jews in other parts of the country. 
So Peter, he's with uh, some of the other disciples, and he goes up on the roof to pray. It was at dinner time. And Acts chapter 10, picking up with verse 10, then he became very hungry, and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And another could be he had a dream or you know. And uh, saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Peter was very good at that, recognizing it was the Lord, but telling him no. (laughs) And that's something that just... uh, Anyway. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Verse 15. And a voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. And I think this vision that Peter had was preparing him to minister to the Gentiles because they considered the Gentiles unclean and they didn't even want to be in their presence. As a matter of fact, a strict Jew of that day, if he was walking down the street and a Gentile was coming by, he would pull his robes right tight to him in order to not even have his robe touch a Gentile. They would cross the street to not even walk in the same dirt. And now here you have God saying, I want you to go to the unclean. I want you to take the gospel to them. And so this portion, of course, speaks to us what we read in, in uh, Romans 12:2. I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we have to present ourselves to the Lord in such a way that we're not saying, here I am partly, Lord. Here I am willing to do half. Here I am, Lord. I'm willing to do everything you tell me to do. And if you tell me I should go to the unclean, I'll go to the unclean. If you tell me I should go here, I'll go there. My only desire is to serve you. Because, you know, brothers and sisters, I don't think at times we recognize the gift that we have. Do you understand? You have been redeemed of the Lord. Your inner man has been changed. Your spirit and soul is now in communion with the Lord. And if you died, you'd go right straight to be with Jesus. You wouldn't even have a microsecond of not being in communion with God. You don't die and just say, well, I wonder where I'm going to go. Oh, here I'm going there now. Bam, bam. Because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the way that is written in the Greek indicates there's no time. There's no time in between. You die, you're with the Lord. What a blessing that is. And the way our world is going, we recognize what's happening. The world's going crazy. And so we realize that it's, Getting ripe, because God is patient. You know, people say, well, why is God going to bring such strict judgment on the world? You know, we just finished the book of Revelation. It's very strict judgment he's bringing on the world. He's doing it because he has to discipline. God disciplines those that he loves. If God doesn't discipline, then there's no purpose 
for doing what is right. There was no need for Jesus to come. If there's no discipline, if there's no consequences for sin, why did Jesus come? But there is. And God in his patience has done everything to minister to this world, to give mankind chances over and over and over again. But just like with Sodom and Gomorrah, their sin had reached up to the heavens. And he had to do something. But he warned God's people before he did it, didn't he? He warned God's people. And they were taken out before God's judgment of fire and brimstone came flying down. And so we have to understand that God has given us this promise that before his judgment comes upon, his wrath comes upon the world, we're going to be taken out of the world. He has not appointed us unto wrath. Scripture says that. It's very clear. So we have that promise. Now, it's very easy, you know, for you and I, for anyone to desire to be like everyone else, isn't it? I want to be like everyone else. You know, one of the things that so many years that I um, taught school, public school, and even the years that I substituted here at ESM High School, one of the things that's interesting is every year it seems like there's something new. And if there's some new thing that comes in, the next thing you know, everybody's, you know, doing that or wearing that or, you know what I'm saying? It just be, it, everyone wants to be like everyone else. Well, the reality is that we are a peculiar people, scriptures teach us. Yeah, and it doesn't mean we should be odd or weird. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we don't go around and, and uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We're just regular people that love Jesus, which gives us the opportunity to share the gospel to the lost. We're different in the sense that we don't participate in their sin and, and in their debauchery, but nevertheless, we're just regular people having that opportunity to witness to them. You know, Jesus was called a, a sinner and a wine-bibber or drunk because he hung around with people that did that. But that's why Jesus said, you know what? Someone who's well has no need of a physician, but a sick person does. And so we are to go around, every one of us, brothers and sisters, as spiritual physicians because we have the cure. And you know what the illness is? Sin. And we don't have the cure in the sense that it originates from us. Just like a physician who's giving you know, some kind of inoculation against some dreaded disease, it's not that the physician has the cure. The cure is in that little, you know, um, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> Can you believe that? Uh, syringe. And the same way, we are the syringe filled with the Holy Spirit that has the cure for what ails the world, the salvation of Jesus Christ. You know, um, I was reading the news this week. It's funny, and with computers we get to a place where we very seldom listen to the news, we read the news. And there was an article about Alyssa Milano, and she you know, was, a, I think, a very well-known children's star. And I'm and quoting what, what, she, what she said. She said, yes, she said, I have had two abortions, but I'm glad because I wouldn't have my career if I didn't. Well, I'm not being ugly towards her, but that's very, very frightening. Very frightening that a human life can be sacrificed for someone's career and the world just 
doesn't he? Oh, yeah, I understand. You know, they talk about reproductive rights. Well, everyone has a right to reproduce. <laughs> but the fact is, reproductive rights has nothing to do with killing an unborn child. has nothing to do with it. And so we have to realize that things like this are all around us. Our world is getting darker and darker and darker. And there's never been a time that it's more important for the light of Jesus Christ to shine through us. You know, like I said, we're not supposed to go out in the world. Jesus dressed just like the world. He could disappear in a crowd, Scripture tells us. You know what I'm saying? Jesus didn't walk a foot above the ground with a golden crown lit on his head. You know, like you see in pictures. He, he looked just like a regular dude walking around. He, he could go right in the, But he was different. And everyone saw he was different. And that's the way it should be with you and I as believers. We shouldn't walk in a room and have people say, well, you know, like you have, and I'm not being critical, but you, someone who has their T-shirt on, turn or burn, bench press this, that kind of thing, and they have, a, you know, a pulpit Bible, about 18 pounds under their arms, and they walk in, you know, look at me, I'm a Christian. Well, you know what, that means nothing. What determines whether you're a believer and a servant of God is here, not what you're holding in your hands or not what you're wearing. It's in here. And so we have to understand that unless a man is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. That's what the Word of God tells us. That's pretty serious. Unless a man is born again. Well, how can a man be born again, Nicodemus said? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? That's what Nicodemus said. He was a priest of Israel. And that's what Jesus said to him. How are you a priest of Israel and you don't understand? What's born of the flesh is flesh, but what is born of the Spirit is spirit. So for you and I to be born again, it's our dead soul and spirit that just wants to be satisfied and just wants to experience all the pleasures of this life needs to be changed. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. His Spirit testifies to our spirit. His Spirit comes in and takes over. And now no longer can we walk after the ways of this world, but we desire to seek after the things of God. It's so amazing because people oftentimes have asked me, oh, it must be really difficult to become a Christian. No, it's the easiest thing in the world to become a Christian. All you simply do is say, God, forgive me a sinner. Please come in and take over my life. Now after that, we have to be willing to allow the Lord to motivate us and be willing to walk in that motivation in order to be his witness in this world. In other words, you can't say, well, I'm born again, and I'm just going to keep doing whatever I did before. If you're born again, you can't do what you used to do because the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart that it's wrong, and you desire to change. It's not someone telling you you have to. You desire to change. You want to change. You want to be like Jesus. Well, this is an amazing, you know, uh, portion of Scripture. And, um, you know, it's so amazing to know the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is and to think that somehow we have an option out of it. You know, anything contrary to the truth is a lie. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 21, it says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. We know the truth, brothers and sisters. 
Where are the areas that we make excuses for? And I'm not trying to put anyone on a guilt trip. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm not trying to shove anything down someone's throat. I'm just making a point. If we want to be the light of Christ, our oil needs to be pure. It needs to be of the Holy Spirit. We have to be honest and willing to ask ourselves, Lord, what is there in my life that's a hindrance to serving you? Because if we really have a heart for God, our greatest desire should be to serve him with all of our ability. And if there's anything there that hinders, Lord, please give me the victory. We've not yet resisted to the shedding of blood, Scripture says. In other words, it is a struggle. It's not like, wouldn't it be wonderful if you got saved and after that you didn't even know how to sin? Now, when we have our glorified bodies, that's the way it will be. But when you get saved, it's not like, gee, I don't even feel like ever sinning again. No, it's there. The temptation is always there. The desire is always there. But the Bible says we're to struggle against it. And sometimes it's a matter of just avoiding. You know, it's like the person who goes to the doctor and says, you know, doctor, every time I bang my head against the wall, it hurts. And the doctor says, well, stop banging your head against the wall. And we're the same way. Lord, every time I go into this situation, I sin. And the Lord simply says, ah, don't go into that situation. And so we have to realize that when we read portions like this about all the clean and unclean and, and this and that, it might seem superfluous or have no particular meaning to us, but it does. It's not the, the specifics of what is clean and unclean. It's the point that's being made. God wants us to be clean in our life and in our walk that we might be his witness. And so I give every one of you that encouragement. And if there are any of you here that know that there are things that you need to turn over to the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or to come forward so everyone can see, wow, they got sin. <clears throat> I'm just going to ask you in your own heart, ask God to forgive you and to strengthen you in whatever that might be. And maybe there are even some here who are not born again. They understand what Christianity is. They like Christianity. They even like Christians. But they've never had their heart changed. They've never made that confession to the Lord. Lord, forgive me a sinner. Come in, take over my life. I want you to live through me. And if you haven't done that, I encourage you to, to do that as well. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we confess, Lord, that there are things in our lives and in our hearts that need to be forgiven, that need to be changed. And we pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would come and convict us and wash us clean by the washing of your word. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here who don't know you, who really aren't born again of the Spirit, that this would be their day of salvation, that they would confess their sin to you in their heart, and Lord, that they would believe and receive you as Lord of their life. Father, we thank you for your word, because your word's always true, your word is always pure, your word is always holy, your word is always encouraging and loving. And so, Lord, anoint us in such a way that we would study your word with an absolute desire to know you and to know you better. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.